Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Wicked Curious Radio. I am your mystery maven, Roxy Zwicker from New England Curiosities, here with you today. And we are a show of the strange, the unusual, the macabre, the paranormal. And, of course, we are sitting here with the mysterious Ken. The mysterious. From from nowhere I have returned. (laughs) Well, not from nowhere. I'd like to say from the grave, thank you very much. Yes. Buried in a hole in Vermont, frozen for the winter. Oh, you're a popsicle person. Right, I'm a popsicle person. Oh, yeah, we have to do that story. <laughs> yeah. The popsicle people. Yeah, we'll have to get to I that. cannot drive to Vermont without thinking about that, you by the way. think about the popsicle Bury people. their old people because we can't take care of them for the winter. <laughs> just, just tuck them away for winter storage. I am one of them now. <laughs> you're, you're, you'll have to tell us about the experience. Right. It was dark and I cold. I could go for that. <laughs> you want to actually up for pull that? that off? I could actually go for that. Yeah. <laughs> so that is the voice of the Professor Lou Blassie keeping us on the air, pushing the buttons behind the scenes there. Yeah, we will. Um, as far we as will, you know. <laughs> well, you, make, you make it look good. Yeah. Um, but we'll have to do the story of the popsicle people, the, right. the frozen people in Vermont. Vermont has. My peeps. Some, your, your peeps, your frozen peeps? My frozen peeps. <laughs> <laughs> Vermont has some of the most un- unusual, like, way out there stories. I don't know if it's just because it's Vermont or the people in Vermont, but there are some um, very interesting stories. Yes, yes, it is. They're all bizarre. They're all bizarre. It's yeah, kind of like... It's a weird it's state. Of, it's kind of like its own little country. It's isolated. There. It is indeed. So on today's show, we are going to be telling stories of murder most foul. Nice. Most yeah. foul. Most foul. Because if you are uh, new to Wicked Curious or if you don't know, um, so we've been doing uh, haunted tours in Portsmouth for nearly 20 years. And one of the first things that we tell most of our tour guests, which they are often very surprised to hear, is that out of all the cities and towns in the granite state of New Hampshire, it is Portsmouth that holds the record for the highest number of unsolved murders. Indeed. And we really gained that back in the 19th century when we were a rough and tumble sheep seaport where everybody was coming in from all over and we couldn't keep track of people. So right. particularly along the waterfront, dead people would show up or they'd be floating in the river. And sometimes we didn't know who they were, where to send the bodies. Yeah. And those crimes were never solved. It was a little shady for a while. Oh, it was quite cheap. Was it unsolved or was it, eh, we don't care. <laughs> a little from column A, a little yeah. from column B. Well, you know, the police force of two and all. No, so. the police force of two. They were probably yeah. overtaxed. They weren't overtaxed. They were in the red light district. There was a police force of two? Two. Is that literal? Plus the commissioner. Two, yeah, we, right. we had two full-time police officers. For the at, city of Portsmouth. For the city of Portsmouth well. in the 19th century. And we had, we had a, a, a smaller part-time staff, but even right. still... Yeah. The place where they were found most was down in the red light district. I mean, it's no it's no secret. It's a matter of public record that Police Commissioner Entwistle was always down in the red light district right. accepting hospitalities from the brothels, in particular the Gloucester House, which is the most popular brothel in town. Yeah, big one. And when the pressure came to do something about what was going on down there between the crime and between the red light district, they were just writing tickets for disorderly houses. And this was going on. Tickets. I mean, yeah, it basically was a $5 fine is what you got for running a house of ill fame. Mm-hmm. So it really wasn't until 1912 that people said, you know, this has to stop. And it was pretty obvious who was on the take. And we were talking about people that were going to these houses that were judges and ministers. So they weren't looking to enforce the law either right. yeah. at that time. So it really took a long time for all of that to change. And the funny thing about some of the unsolved murders in Portsmouth is people would be thrown in the river, and when they were pulled out of the river, sometimes they couldn't be identified yep. because you know our river has lobsters and fish and eels and all sorts of things out there. All, all sorts of, of swimming creatures out there. <laughs> and since they couldn't figure out who they were, sometimes they couldn't even realize where they were, and those went as unsolved. So it's kind of a kind of interesting little mm. history that Portsmouth has hidden over the years. A grim little seaport. Well. But it is a seaport. You would expect that from from an old yeah, seaport. I think it's just logistics. You think? Yeah, I mean, <coughs> do you think some do you guy think washes up in a that? river unless it's somebody somebody's notable is missing? They're like, nah, you know. Just. <laughs> we don't know this guy. Yeah, yeah too bad. <laughs> yeah, drop him in, and everybody forgets. Yeah, <laughs> he don't live here. Nobody's gonna miss <laughs> some him. Drifters coming in and out. Yeah, exactly. Someone fell off a ship that was in port or something. 
That and that yeah. happened a lot. A bit. Yeah, there, there there are a lot of stories of guys that just fell off the boats as they came in, and uh, typically associated with alcohol. I'm sure you'd be shocked right. to, to hear <laughs> that. You think? <laughs> Maybe one or two of them. At the or house a little bit too long. <laughs> <laughs> the or house. Why is it called the or house? <laughs> mm, I yeah, wonder. Really. So we're we're going to uh, to start um, with a story from the Wingen Historical Society and anything. That says macabre murder. I'm in. Yeah, macabre. Macabre, because That's a key word. word for you. It is hashtag it, macabre. Yes, we we have been trying so hard on this show to bring the word <laughs> macabre back. It's like it's such a good word. Like bringing it back. It, just, it conjures every tour, every yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, macabre. When we go to the grocery store, I mean, macabre loaf of bread. Right. Yes. So it is macabre as opposed to macabre. I've always heard macabre. I've always heard. Macabre. No, it's not, I'm not challenging it. I just. I don't know macabre. Huh. I don't know. It would be like chupacabra. Well, that's so another thing. Yeah. Chupacabra. Yeah. <laughs> Probably is. Just question grocery question. store. Huh? Yeah, grocery store. Corn on the macabre. Corn on the macabre. <laughs> right. All right, so before we start losing listeners, let's get into yeah, our story. Yeah, all right. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. But... <laughs> so um, we're, we're going to go back, and of course, I'm sure folks know about the you know Colt 45, Colt guns. So this is the Colt the family. name, the Colt. Um, so we're going to go back again. The story is from Connecticut, New England Historical Society. Too bad John Colt didn't use one of his brother Sam's revolvers to kill Samuel Adams in 1841. So not the Samuel Adams yeah, that you're thinking say. of. Yeah. If he had, Samuel Colt probably would have capitalized on the tremendous publicity surrounding the murder. Because Sam Colt not only made millions making guns, he was one of the first Madison Avenue ad- admin. And any publicity was good publicity, and Colt was an easy name to spell. Right. So his brother killed somebody mm-hmm. and didn't use a Colt weapon. Correct. Wow. Mm-hmm. Branding. Come uh, on. I, I, can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, Did that would have gone down in, in history. Oh, you think, no. Was, you think it was that? No, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Didn't want to get his brother in trouble, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Any publicity is good publicity. It is, in, in that case. Everybody's right. like, ah, oh, it's the perfect murder weapon. Plus, I mean, the, the next ad is, it's too bad, but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's unfortunate, but keep in mind it worked. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, John Colt had killed Samuel Adams with any guesses of the murder weapon, Lou? If it wasn't if it wasn't a gun, what what would you use? It was a knife. Close. It was a hatchet. Hatchet. A hatchet. <laughs> then he cut him up stuffed him into an oblong box and hired a cart man to take the gruesome cargo to a ship bound for New Orleans. Ship him out. It might be a story of good brother, bad brother, but the murder of Samuel Adams and its aftermath suggests the two Colt brothers were both very gifted and very flawed, and they may have been married to the same woman at the same time. Interesting. What? Mm. How did this happen? Hmm. Hence the need for a gun. How indeed. Yeah. Let's let's tell the story. So wait, they shipped the body out on a boat. Mm-hmm. They think the boat knew? Or they're just taking a box. I think taking they're just a taking box a box and a few bucks. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. they're not gonna. You know, yeah. there was no customs per se in many instances. Put a shipping label. Shipping a box, it, give them enough money. You know, make sure it gets there, and there yeah. you go. Ship it off. Yeah. Don't mind that pool of blood underneath it. Yeah, really. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ignore that smell. Don't worry about that. <laughs> All right, so how they end up married to the same woman? Eh? <laughs> so John Caldwell Colt was born March 1st, 1810 in Hartford, Connecticut. His brother Samuel arrived four years later. The boy started life with a privileged childhood and an indulgent mother who came from one of the city's leading families. But. But. Then their mother died, and their father lost his money in the financial panic of 1819. Oh. Do you remember that? The financial panic of 1819? Uh, it wasn't quite there yet. No, me either. Shunned by Hartford's social elite, their new stepmother made the boys go to work. John Colt was a reckless, adventurous boy who meandered through life as an adult. He chose one career and then veered off to another. Had he been a riverboat gambler, a drinker, a runaway, a womanizer, a thief, as well as a brilliant accountant. He'd done all those things. Wow. That, that's pretty accomplished right rec- there. Reckless. Reckless. A womanizer perfect, and a thief. Perfect founder. In 1838, he published a textbook on double-entry bookkeeping. 
Mm. <laughs> well. Which went into 45 printings. I'd say it's a bestseller. Bestseller wow. right there. <laughs> wow. He moved to Manhattan and hired a printer named Samuel Adams to print his textbook. He had an ap- excellent choice. Excellent choice. Always a good choice. He had an apartment in a fancy building. In May of 1841, his beautiful young mistress moved in with him. And by September, she was very, very pregnant. Very. Very pregnant. Mm. Samuel, unlike John, had a fixed purpose in life from an early age. He wanted to make guns and explosives. Is that what you thought about as a kid, Ken? (laughs) I want to make guns and explosives. I want to blow stuff up. All little boys want to blow things up. Yeah. Do you want to blow stuff up? Kind of a guy's thing, yeah. Yeah, you know. I was a kid. I played with M80s and stuff Firecrackers and M80s and blow up your toys. You know, yeah. Blow stuff up. I got kind of a little fire thing going myself, too. I like fire. Well, campfires are always fun. Yeah. Little pyro there. Little pyro. Little pyro. You know, I got all my fingers still, though, so I did did well. Luckily. (laughs) His father backed his early attempts to make guns, but Sam needed more financing for development. So he toured the country lecturing on the virtues of nitrous oxide. Sweet. Ending his talk with a fireworks show. Woohoo! That wow, sounds like fun. Right. Get yourself hopped up on some nitrous oxide and then go light some fireworks. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Nothing. Sounds like a good night. That, All good... you need is a handgun and everybody's right. good. Everybody can participate. Yeah. <clears throat> However, he saved enough money to go back to developing his gun, a revolver with a rotating cylinder. In 1835, he sailed to England to obtain a patent for it. While there, he met a beautiful, illiterate 16-year-old named Caroline Henshaw. He then married the girl. Or did he? Or did he? Or Mm. did he? Historians disagree. According to some, he brought her back to the United States with him, but never admitted he married her. Hmm. Others make no mention of her marriage to Samuel Colt. Hmm. In 1836, Sam borrowed enough money, mostly from relatives, to start making guns in Patterson, New Jersey. However, hardly anyone bought them. Then his financing began to dry up with the panic of 1837, mm-hmm. one of the worst in United States history. Colt entertained prospects for sales and backing as if he had plenty of cash. His cousin, a principal investor, scolded him for the enormous liquor bill he'd run up. There you go. I love this story. as everything. Yeah. You got to schmooze. <laughs> you, right. do, you, you, you sell do, stuff, you got to schmooze. That's right. You got to get them all liquored up to say yes. That's, yep. And to sign the dotted line. That's right. In September 1841, Samuel Colt went to New York City looking for more investors. He was drinking at a bar at the city hotel with a couple of prospects when his distraught brother John came looking for him. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What transpired on September 17th, 1841 was worthy of an Edgar Allan Poe story. Oh. So in homage to Edgar Allan Poe's birthday. Yeah. Was his birthday? Yeah. Yeah. Poe did modify a version into his story. Any guesses what story this was without looking? Well, I won't I won't Don't, cheat. St- so what what story do you think this would inspire? Telltale Heart? The Oblong Box. Oh the Oblong Box. Hmm. And Herman Melville mentioned it in his short story Bart Bartably the Scrivener. At 4 p.m. on that day, Friday, Samuel Adams called on John Colt at his office on the corners of Chamber Street and Broadway. Adams demanded $71.15. Very specific. (laughs) Which he he said Colt owed him. Colt disagreed, saying he only owed him $55.85. So it was $16.85. Well, less than $16 off. Yep, they were, they were fighting over the difference of $16. Yep. They began to argue, and they even fought. According to Colt's confession, Adam shoved him against the wall and twisted his neck handkerchief so that he could hardly breathe. Mm. Quote, we came to blows. We then grappled as he was overpowering me. I reached for a hammer, which was on my desk, and I struck him over the head until he released his hold and fell unconscious. He expired shortly afterwards. Blood flowed in torrents from the wounds after washing it up, and I decided to notify the authorities. Mm -hmm. But then he decided against it. He didn't want to besmirch the reputation of his family, his wealthy relatives, his brother, the judge in St. Louis, his other brother, the up-and-coming arms manufacturer. So he went to find his brother, staying at the city hotel. 
Sam Colt, drinking in the bar room with prospective investors, told his brother to wait upstairs. But John Colt couldn't wait more than a few minutes. So John Colt returned to his office. Colt had a long wooden box in the corner of his office. He decided to ship the body in the box to another city. And it wasn't easy. He stripped Adam's clothes off and tied him up, but his knees stuck out. So Colt stood on top of the box until it closed and nailed it shut. Well, wow. He threw Adam's clothes into a public outhouse, washed his clothes in a public bathhouse, and addressed the box to a fictional Mr. Gross in New Orleans. What a great choice of names. <laughs> Mr. Gross. Mr. Gross. Yeah. And in the box sure. is something gross. Right. I love it. The next morning, he hailed a cartman from the office and paid him to take the box to the Kalamazoo, which was the name of the ship, the Kalamazoo, Mm -hmm. in the East River. The box was put aboard the steamer, but the weather turned stormy, and the Kalamazoo couldn't sail. Dang it. Terrible. Unbeknownst to John Colt, his neighbor had heard a sound like foils clashing and a violent fall on the floor. The neighbor notified the landlord and the police, and he kept a close watch on John Colt. When he read in the newspaper that Samuel Adams had gone missing, he reported suspicions to the mayor, Robert Morris. The mayor then ordered the head of the cartman to investigate. They quickly figured out where the box had gone, and the Kalamazoo was unloaded. The cartman who took it from Colt recognized it immediately. Mm. Morris joined police in arresting John Colt. He confessed and pleaded self-defense. Brother Sam paid for his high-priced defense with his shares in the company. During the trial, witnesses testified that the wounds on Samuel Adams' head included a small round hole. They suggested that John Colt killed Adams with his brother's new invention. In one of history's more bizarre product placements, Samuel (laughs) Colt put a marksmanship show on with his revolver. Can you imagine? Okay, everybody, time to break out the gun in the middle of the session, and we'll put yeah, so you're in court. Yeah, and we're gonna show, show you how the gun works and yes. how the gun works. Well, it was, yeah. it was a new thing at the yeah. time. Yeah, how how crazy is that though? John Colt's sinful living arrangements with his mistress did not help the case. The jury found him guilty, and the judge sentenced him to hang. And then things got very strange. Oh, so now it gets weird. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't weird. That wasn't weird enough. No, that's, that's, that was murder. Now we have to get to the most foul Choking part. Choking them, yeah, killing them with By a the hammer. Way, $16 in 1841 is about $500 now. Well, that's pretty yeah, significant. When you can buy a loaf of bed for like yeah. a penny, you know. So. Yeah. Oh, sure. John Colt asked to make an honest woman out of Caroline who had given birth to a son named Samuel. On the day of his execution, he married Caroline in New York's Tombs Prison with Sam and John and Howard Payne in attendance. His jailers left him alone Wait for a second, an, that was the mistress. Yes. Caroline. Okay. Yeah. Yep. His jailers left him alone for an hour for a conjugal visit. Oh nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As the moment for his execution approached, the tomb's roof burst into flames. Mm-hmm. Prison guards ran to put out the fire. When they returned to Colt's cell, they found him in a pool of blood and a knife protruding from his heart. They presumed his wedding guests had slipped him the knife. Oh. For years afterwards, people claimed to have seen John Colt alive and well. They believed his friends, or maybe his brother had set the fire, substituted a corpse with a knife in it, and speared him away. New York's police chief wrote a book claiming he had fled to California with his wife. And historians speculate that John Colt's mistress, Caroline, was really Caroline Henshaw, Mrs. Samuel Colt. Samuel Colt ultimately succeeded in his arms business. He struggled for another five years after his brother's death until the Texas Ranger bought a thousand revolvers Mm. for the U.S. in the Mexican War. He built a factory in Hartford and married the well-born Elizabeth Jarvis in 1856. They had four children, but only one of them made it to adulthood and drowned at the age of 35. How sad. Hmm. Along with all of the money he had sent to Caroline, who had moved to Europe with her son, Samuel Colt referred to the boy as his nephew, always in quotation marks. As a young man, he went to work in the Colt Arms Factory, where Hartford knew him as Sam Colt's favorite nephew. The arms business prospered, and Samuel Colt became one of the richest men in the United States. However, he died from complications of—how do you think Samuel Colt died, Lou? 
gunshot wound. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you, you would think. So, complications from gout. 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 <laughs> Oh, that's what happens when you hire, hire when you marry a well-born woman. I guess so. Yeah. And uh, it was in 1862, and he was just 47 years old. Oh. His wife Elizabeth wow. gave birth to their stillborn child after he died. It's not not going well there. Yeah, not a lot of luck there. He died, and the child was stillborn. Yep, after his wow. death. Yeah. In his will, Samuel Colt named his nephew as one of the heirs, bequeathing him $2 million in today's money. Elizabeth Colt contested the will in court, and Samuel Colt produced a valid marriage certificate proving his mother had married her husband in Scotland in 1838. Hmm, so that was a tangled web. Wasn't that a tangled web? Yeah. Wasn't that good? <laughs> so they were married over there uh, after all that. They were. And Sounds they, like a they Netflix finally... series to me. Right. It totally does. <laughs> And cold. It's how the West was won. It was how the yeah. West was won. So, so what? So, what do you think? Do you think he really got away? Do you think they they, they substituted so the body? So back, back at this time, they couldn't identify the the body that was left there. Well, the building was on fire. So maybe the body was burnt. I would assume. So maybe he had been they stabbed. wouldn't have had any um, good forensics. No, back I then. need to settle the woman thing first. <laughs> you there would. Was, there was the mistress. Mm-hmm. And. Supposedly he married mistress, mistress, but in retrospect, they all think it was Samuel uh, Samuel Colt's wife. Right. That they didn't know whether it was his wife or not. Correct. Yeah. So what happened to the mistress? It doesn't tell us. So they weren't the same woman. They were, just... were they one and the same person? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. That that's where the debate comes in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So did. I mean, there's no information as little to... little sketchy yeah. wife swap going yeah, on to, to make what it look was better. going on there. Hmm. Hmm. So that, that's, where, that's where the debate comes it's in. It's not out of the question. No, I suppose not. It's not out of the question. No, I'm sure stranger things have happened. Well, of course they have. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think is most likely? I don't know. It sounds like some kind of strange arrangement. What was the bit about the boy again? The quote-unquote nephew? Just Samuel, yeah. Samuel was into him and... He, he, was, he was very into him, and that's yeah. who he left everything to. So... He the, never had a child of his own. No, but... Lived. Well, he had the one that, that died. Oh, yeah. But all the other ones were, were stillborn. Um, he named his nephew... Oh, wait a second. So he had children... All of them died as kids except one who lived to 35 and then Correct, drowned. and drowned. Correct. Hmm. So at the time of his death, he had no other children. It was just the nephew. Right. Okay. Because the, the, the last pregnancy that, that was after his death, was that was also born. stillborn. Yep. So that, that technically would have been the heir. So, of course, the wife went in and contested it. Yep. And, and was able to prove it. Well, yep. I'm a believer in Occam's razor. <laughs> oh, the simplest explanation is the most... Yeah, so I think no, but I don't think it's out of the question either. So I, you think it's possible? I think it's possible, yeah. Why wouldn't it be possible? So likely? Because the fire just happened just happened to happen right after the wedding ceremony. Right. Yeah. Right at the and same right time. Right after the conjugal visit. Right, and then he was he was going to go to the gallows. Yeah. All, all that same day. And the fact that he ended up with a knife mm -hmm. suggests supposedly ended up with a knife to suggest some kind of foul play going on. Right, a knife to the heart. If, if you believe yeah. that was him and did not the substituted body. Did he stab himself in the body. chest or did he get away? Right. And, which seems kind of likely. They might have just dropped another body in there and took him out. Mm -hmm. And they said they had sightings of him as with far fire, as California. Yeah. So he was the whitey bulger of his day. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Quite possibly. His yeah. brother would, would be, you know, in a position to pull this off. Okay, I'm going to go Yes. So you think it's possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah. They wouldn't have been able to identify <laughs> what, what body that was. Mm -mm. Um, get him out of there during the chaos of the fire. It seems likely. I'm definitely... I'm I, in on that. I, I'm totally in on that. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that it was possible and that he did it. I mean, who stabs himself in the heart? Right. How do you even do that? Yeah, if he was going to hang anyway, why right. kill yourself first? Like, ha-ha, I mean... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's to see when that came up. I was going to ask what the method of execution was, because why would stabbing yourself in the heart be preferable to, to, hang. to any hanging. other? Yeah. Right. Was it hanging? Yeah. It was mm -hmm. hanging. Hanging. Yeah, maybe. But so, no, they, they probably got him out just of Just one last, uh, you know, method of control. Mm. I'm not going to let you kill me out there. I'll kill myself here. Right. You can't fire right. me, I quit. 
Well, and you and he didn't use a gun. No. He he could have used a gun and once again had the opportunity to you know have that see, gun go down and that would have been if you were gonna mark it. Right. You slip no, see, him a Colt forty five. Exactly. And let right. him kill himself with the Colt forty five. Right. And, yeah. and and there it goes down in history. Would have been down in history, would have been good advertising. Right. So that another would have been reason. a better way to mutilate the body too. So. <laughs> Definitely so, more efficient than bleeding out with a knife wound. Oh, let's not even talk about that. Ugh. So well, did they hire a guy to take his place, or did they grave rob a guy to take his place, or? I they probably just murdered someone to murdered take his somebody? place. Yeah. I mean, who's who's keeping track of people at that time? At, at these times, it was just anything goes. It was mm-hmm. no man's. That life. guy looks like John. Yeah, that's, that's all. He has a beard and a hat. There we go. It's about his size. We'll just light him on fire a little bit. That's right, a little fire. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. They weren't doing DNA or yeah, anything. Pre-warmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to make sure that the destruction was. Yeah. Yeah, I, right. I yeah, I'm in total agreement. Well. Yeah. We... No. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking more and more. I'm thinking. Yeah. It's probably romantic in me, but. No. <laughs> You know, he's going he's to want to protect it's his brother. It's a good story. It is a good story. Prote- protect his brother as best he can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now the question is, is the area haunted? Whatever happened to the oblong yeah, box? Yeah, where, where, where are the ghosts? But how cool is that? I yeah, what did happen to the oblong box? They must have used it for firewood or something. Given it a decent burial, because they obviously recovered it off the boat. The Kalamazoo. Well, see, now that's that's gonna that should prompt you to also look at the story. The Oblong Box by Edgar Allan Poe, whose birthday, by the way, again so was yesterday. So he was inspired by this, or he was, was this just a coincidence? No, he 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 was inspired. No, look at it now. So, so is is it a um, uh, report of the crime, or is it a story based off the crime? It's a story based off of the crime. Yeah, done in in particular, you know, Edgar Allan Poe. He style. did a he modified a version of the story for his short story. Does the story right. go as far as the trial, and does he give you any hints? Hmm. As to what happened. That we'll I don't recall. I will have because I will. a writer would, a writer if he knew something, would bury it in there. That is true. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, uh, I'm not super familiar with that story. So. Well, what we'll do is we will investigate on the break. We'll do our own little investigation. By the way, that was a movie that came out in um, 1969 is that Vincent with Price? Vincent Price oh, and yes. Christopher Lee, two of my favorite box? actors. Yes, the Oblong Box. Oh, interesting. Vincent well, Price and Christopher Lee? Vincent oh. Price and Christopher Lee, two of my favorites. How did we not see this? I know. So, of course, um, what we'll do is we'll get you the further details the on the Oblong Box. And the Sith. <laughs> he was a Sith, right? I believe so. He, yeah. 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 What? Christopher Lee. Yeah. Yes. And um, we have more stories of Murder Most Follow. And Willy Wonka's dad. Yes. yes, he was. He was a dentist. <laughs> he was the dentist. Saruman, too. Well, Saruman, actually. Um, so, anyways, while we digress, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Wicked Curious Radio. Don't go anywhere. For the best and curious entertainment, you have to check out New England Curiosities, located in the historic city of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. New England Curiosities offers tales and tours of folklore, ghosts, and mysterious history with author and historian Roxy Zwicker, New Hampshire's longest-running and original ghost tour. Roxy has been entertaining the locals, visitors from away, and curious souls since 1994. New England Curiosities has been offering tours and special haunted events since 2002. Highly respected and thoroughly entertaining. You'll be talking about your experience for months to come. Discover why New England Curiosities is consistently on top of travel and tourism lists. Yankee Magazine calls the Shadows and Stones Graveyard Tour one of New England's top five cemetery tours. The Boston Globe says an experience with New England Curiosities is one of the three best alternatives to visiting Salem, Massachusetts. From scenic trolley rides to walking tours and speaking engagements, there's something for everyone. So join New England Curiosities and experience why they are consistently featured in the media, including television appearances on the History Channel and the Travel Channel. Check out the latest legendary tours and events from New England Curiosities at NewEnglandCuriosities.com. And be sure to like New England Curiosities on Facebook. 
Greetings to you, traveler. My name is Roxy Swicker, and you may have heard of me being referred to as Maine's Mystery Maven, or even New England's Scary Godmother. Creativity and curiosity are in my blood, always has been and is a way of life. And I really wanna share my creative projects with you. Just under 20 years ago, I began New England Curiosities, a tour and event company based in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And it's given me the opportunity to connect with so many people. And for the past 15 years, I've been serving the seacoast of New Hampshire as a metaphysical instructor and reader. Two of the things on my path that I've committed to are helping to empower spiritual seekers and to share stories from and with curious folks. I know that community is powerful and we can create so much together. One of my projects is Wicked Curious Radio, a radio show that asks, you are wicked curious, aren't you? And also The Woodland Alchemy, which is a film that brings its viewers to a place of imagination, the unknown, and the mysterious. If you would like to help keep these projects afloat and keep us moving forward, you can check us out on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Wicker, you can find all of the magical things that we are doing. You can check out all the different levels of subscription and join us on our journey. So again, it's patreon.com slash Wicker, R-O-X-I-E-Z-W-I-C-K-E-R. And we thank you so much for joining our curious journey. Welcome back to Wicked Curious Radio. I am your mystery maven, Roxy Zwicker from New England Curiosities. You're finding us on the radio at 102.9 FM HD2, Facebook Live. Also, iTunes, Buzzsprout, SoundCloud. Hit the subscribe button so you don't <laughs> miss a Wicked Curious episode. We're I mean, everywhere you want to be. <laughs> we're everywhere you want to be. In the oblong box, are we? Right. In the oblong box. Especially in the oblong box. Especially the oblong box. So that is the amazing Ken. And, of course, we have Lou. And we were doing a little research on the oblong box just to be sure we're getting the story correct. And, of course, you have to picture at this time when when this whole incident hit the newspapers, which this was a huge story back in the day. Of course, Edgar Allan Poe had read that and was very inspired not only by the story, but his own travels mm-hmm. aboard steamship and kind of put the, the two together. And, of course, in the, the oblong box uh, proper, it was a, a stinky, smelly box that looked like it would have been the, the right size to hide a passenger in mm-hmm. on, on the ship. And, of course, the story goes on that they were just intent on shipping the box, the, uh, the murderer in the story. We won't try not to r- reveal the entire story if you don't know it and of course the murderer ended up having to set sail with the box rather than just shipping it along so you'll have to read the rest of the story to see how that turns out or of course watch the movie with our favorites christopher lee and vincent price vincent at least price. my favorite there are yes. some interesting additional details in a new york post story Ooh, about this going tell back us, Lou. it says a box a colt found wouldn't fit the body so he hogtied adam's corpse propped it on the chair in an upright position and lifted it over his shoulder using all his weight to push push it until he'd forced the stiffening corpse to form the shape of the container. Then he had the box shipped. Uh, when word got out that Adams had gone missing and he was last seen entering the building, Colt's landlord, who heard much of the activity, alerted authorities, so on and so forth. Let's see. Spurned on by copious news coverage, Colt quickly became enemy number one in the public eye. En route to the court, the crowds heckled and cast vengeance upon him. Hang him, hang him, the angry swarm chanted. Uh, Colt admitted the killing and claimed self-defense. Uh, during the trial, the prosecution... Uh, brought in Adam's severed head into the courtroom. Wow. Oh, cool. We've got a severed head. Nice. Even better. Oh, I love it. Where the doctor (laughs) held it up for the jury to see and then keeping it in his lap illustrated how Colt's hatchet fit the hole in the skull perfectly. (laughs) Colt was found guilty of willful murder and sentenced to hang. Upon the sentencing, the crowd in the gallery cheered with the newspapers reporting, quote, the streets were (coughs) filled with city dwellers young and old applauding and jumping for joy at the prosecution's victory. Here's the part that I found interesting. In Mm. the days leading up to his scheduled hanging, there were reportedly several attempts to bust him out, Mm. including one by a friend who dresses in female clothing so that they could switch, and Colt could then walk out disguised as a woman. (gasps) 
Oh, there you go. Yeah, and the way they put it on the execution day, as Colt made his way towards the gallow, the prison rang. Uh, Suddenly, with shouts of fire, bells went off, prisoners screamed, and when the hysteria subsided, Colt was found dead in his cell with a knife through his heart. It appeared that Colt had beat the hangman by committing suicide, but rumors quickly spread that Samuel Colt had smuggled the corpse into place in his brother's cell in order to help his brother escape. I believe it. What, with the fire and all? Yep, I believe it. with With the... other attempts, yes, mm. that there were quote unquote several attempts to break him out. I, I would suppose. So they were working at getting him yeah. out. Of there, yeah, obviously, if there were several attempts. Yeah. Plus the severed severed head is kind of good. Nice. He held oh, it in what? his lap. That's great. <laughs> Demonstrating how. <laughs> how quick was this trial, by the way? How old is that severed head? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> He's not keeping too fresh. <laughs> they bring it in a little cooler. Oh, nice. Right. Take it out. A little playmate cooler. A little playmate of the day, right? Yeah. yeah. Probably would have been like a little metal bucket. God. Ice. Some dry ice. I present to you this head. Oh, I it love it. must have been it. a dramatic moment, though. Well, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Samuel Adams' severed head. Pull out of a bucket in the courthouse. That's great. You just don't see that anymore. Yeah. You know, like, we need more in the courthouse. Yeah. You know, like Clash of the Titans with right. Medusa? Yes. <laughs> and the eyes are glowing. Nice. Uh. <laughs> that would have made the papers. Oh, I do love this. would have made TMZ. Oh. <laughs> it would have. I do love the, a story with a good severed head. Right. Oh, that was great. That was a good addition there. Nice. So that was the... Um, he, so uh, John Colt was the uh, Epstein of <laughs> oh, <laughs> the mid-1800s. Oh, no. Yes, pretty much so. John Colt did not kill himself. No. <laughs> it was written all over the walls. <laughs> down there. The, the implications on social media yeah, he's living in California. Yeah, are out there now. Yeah. I said Whitey Bulger, but he was the Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Even more correct. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. He did not kill himself. Now you know where Heads Up comes from. Yep, that's right, oh. Sandra. Yep. Oh, no. Yep. And, and hi to Sandra, Kathy, and Sarah. Thanks for, for Hello, listening in our, our Facebook chat. What do you guys think out there? In Facebook land. Yeah, let us let us yeah. know if you... Uh, Do you think he committed suicide in his cell, or was that the escape plot? Yeah, let us know what you think. After several other failed attempts, dressed Oof. as a woman. What was there, the guy going to take his place in the cell? In the hanging? Yeah, really, in the hanging. <laughs> I'll hang for you, sure. Oh, my God. Well, they could have had a compound escape plan. Right. Could have snuck him out and then got the other guy out. Right, mm. so... But we all know how that would have ended. It would have ended with a fire and that guy with a knife with in his a chest. Knife right. Someone with a knife in his chest. Yes. Someone. They must have had the body prepared. So. Some some poor slob. Yeah. Some drunk some bum. The someone some they weren't bum. Gonna, someone they weren't going to miss. Oh, my goodness. What city was this in? This is in New York. In New York. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is a high-profile deal. It, w- it was a huge deal back in the day. So, of course, that you know that's how Poe saw it and decided to, to write about it in right. his own way. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I love it. He escaped. Sarah says he escaped. Yep, I think I totally think he escaped. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm totally on with that. We tend to think of our own window in the world and how difficult it would be nowadays, but in New York in the mid-1800s? Sure, it yeah. seems easy enough. Yeah. Just like all those murders in Portsmouth. Right. Yes. It was a little more of a free-for-all. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. You know, there were no cameras and... <laughs> Portsmouth, they only had two cops. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we we have a, a, another scandalous story. Scandal. Scandalous. Nice. N- another crime. However, this one, before we get into the details, is related to the Titanic. Oh. And okay. I am so sorry that we missed the Titanic exhibit when it was up in Portland, Maine. I really wanted to go and see the artifacts, but unfortunately, they did it in. Uh, it was in an October. So we all know uh, how that goes. You know goes. how that goes. I get it. Yeah, so that's not going to happen. You yeah. can't even go watch the leaves turn in October. No, we can't so. watch the leaves turn. <laughs> However, um, if we wanted to see the exhibit, it's actually now in Las Vegas at the Luxor Hotel and Casino. Mm. And they have all the amazing artifacts there, everything from from lamps to doors to an unopened bottle of champagne that was on yeah. the Titanic. And tiles from the ship's yeah, floor. T- all kinds of cool stuff. So if you want to go check that out, um, if you just happen to be in Las Vegas, which we have listeners from all over the country. Right. So somebody might be interested in going checking that out this weekend. Send pictures if you go, because we'd love to see them. And they, they, 
interesting in the fact that, I don't know if you guys have seen it, it's been floating around Facebook lately. They've got this little, um, I don't know if it's an app, but mm -hmm. it's trying to give you an idea of how deep the ocean actually is. Oh, okay. And you kind of scroll it down and it tells you about life at that level and, mm -hmm. you know, just certain facts. And the Titanic is way the frig down there. Oh, I believe I mean, it, it is deep. Yeah, it's like 34,000 feet. Yeah, it's like 30,000, 40,000 feet. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's miles and miles and miles down. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that you could find it, A, it's incredible. get down there and bring stuff back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I mean, the, the, the water pressure alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, they needed, you know, special robotic submarines to get down there and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, it just makes all that stuff that much more fascinating. Yeah. Oh, it does. And all yeah. that much more valuable, too. Yeah. And like, remember how long it took to find it. I mean, they didn't find it right away. No. It was only until, what, 20 years ago? It was a few mm -hmm. years, yeah. It yeah. wasn't that yeah. long ago. Oh, I think it's fascinating. And then they couldn't get down to it right then and there. No, so. no. All right. So um, this story has, uh, of course, a, a lovely lady named Bertha. 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 Bertha Mulvihill. So the chance to board the maiden voyage of the RMS Titanic was too great a thrill to pass up for the adventurous young Bertha. And the adventure that she got, like all the passengers on the Titanic, the sinking of the vessel gave her a hard look at her own mortality. You call that an adventure, huh? <laughs> well, yeah. it was probably an adventure at first. And Maybe after that. Then the it turned tragic. Yes. More than that, however, it brought her face to face with panic, dishonor, hostility, cowardice, and even... Dun, dun, dun. Murder. Murder on the Titanic. Murder Sounds like a Tuesday to me. <laughs> is, that, is that a typical Lou Tuesday? <laughs> <It's> Tuesday. <laughs> the tragedy would dampen her adventurous spirit forever. She found from that night on she was going to avoid the water, never to sail or even swim again. Hell yes. That might do it. Yep. And her rescue and the events leading up to it was a story she would retell for the rest of her life. So up until... April 11th, 1912, she had always considered her life an adventure. And, of course, it was a rather pleasant adventure, unlike the one on the Titanic. <laughs> she was from Ireland and moved to Providence, Rhode Island. And she landed a job waitressing at the Perry House in Newport, Rhode Island. She was also engaged to an Englishman, Henry Noon, who had a good job as a master welder at Brown and Sharp Manufacturing in Providence. Brown I think they're still there. Brown and Sharp. I, th I think, think still... they might be out of business oh, or out of the aftermarket. Those are old. It sounds old, like a familiar name those, to me, though. Those, I worked on those before. Yeah, they're old-timey machines. Okay. Henry gave her three gold treasures. I will give to you these three things. <laughs> a pocket watch, a bracelet, and a gold cross on a chain. Wow. Hmm. In the summer of 1911, she traveled on the Lusitania. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'm not going on any cruises with her. I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, this doesn't sound good. Already, from the, from the get -go. Yeah, we're off to a bad start. <laughs> to Ireland. She's to a survival of the Lusitania and the Titanic. <laughs> <Yeah>. Great. <laughs> well, she, she might be the person to be with if she's this, a survivor. This looks like before that disaster. Yes. Yeah. Um, of course, she stayed through the winter helping her sister prepare for her wedding in the spring of 1912. By April, Bertha wanted to go home for her own wedding to Henry. She decided to surprise him and return to Providence, where she would stay with her sister. When Bertha heard about the maiden voyage of the Titanic, she didn't hesitate. Sounds like fun. Nope. She bought a third-class ticket for seven pounds and fifteen shillings. So, how much do you think that would equate to today, Lou? Seven pounds yeah. and fifteen shillings. And fifteen shillings. And oh, do you have the number there? I, I I've got the number. What do you think I that would? Them. Still be today. stunned by pounds, so <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know, uh, $200, $1,000, $1,000 for third class ticket third class. Yeah. to sail from the ship's last port of call in Queenstown. So, most of the passengers who embarked with her were third class Irish immigrants hoping for a better life in America. Two of her Irish friends boarded with her Maggie and Eugene. Eugene played Aaron's Lament on his. Eulean pipes for his fellow third-class passengers as the Titanic sailed from Queenstown. He would later claim $50 for their loss. Salvagers found similar pipes, perhaps his, hmm. from the wreck. Bertha and Maggie shared a room sleeping in bunk beds next to the boilers in the lower deck. What happened next has been told countless times. Captain Edward Smith plowed through the icy waters 350 miles off the coast of Newfoundland, ignoring warnings about icebergs. 
Just before midnight, the Titanic struck an iceberg on the starboard side, and the ship's bell rang three times. Bertha was nearly thrown from her bed. Eugene came to check on her and Maggie and found them awake and confused. He urged them to get dressed, and they threw coats over the night dresses. Bertha grabbed the jewelry Henry gave her, her rosary beads, and her prayer book. She, Eugene, and Maggie climbed to the deck above them, but they couldn't get to the outer deck. Every time we went up a stair, they were locked, recalled Bertha. The doors would be locked until the upper-class passengers boarded lifeboats. Can you imagine? Mm. You guys got to wait, so we're locking you in. That's awful. Yeah. Well, a lot of people didn't make it out because they were locked in. I know. It's just yeah. horrible. You, you can't lock doors like that. No. And two-thirds of the first-class passengers survived the sinking of the Titanic. But, you know, on the other hand, it's one of those situations where that would have been mass panic. Yeah, oh, of course. If you have all the passengers on deck trying to get in the lifeboats, mm -hmm. be mayhem. Oh, it would have been a nightmare. Yeah. Two-thirds of the first-class passengers survived the sinking of Titanic, but only a third of the third-class passengers did, yeah. just to give you an idea. Passengers were Wait shrieking. two-thirds of the first-class survived? Yep. One-third of the third. Okay. Correct. Yep. Passengers were shrieking and water was coming in. Bertha, Maggie, and Eugene reached the top of a passage and couldn't get out. So they knelt and prayed in the gangway. Bertha saw a sailor she met on the voyage and cried, We're lost. The sailor told them they were in danger and showed them a way to the outer deck. When they reached the deck, they saw no boats going off. They went to the second cabin deck. Some of the men from steerage were screaming and fighting to get into the lifeboats. Bertha told the Providence Journal, Captain Smith stood at the head of the passageway, and he had a gun in his hand. Boys, he said, you've got to do your duty here. It's the women and children first, and I'll shoot the first man who jumps into a boat. Wow. Bertha may have been mistaken about the identity of the officer with the revolver. Many survivors said that they heard gunshots fired as the Titanic sank. Eugene later wrote a detailed description of the actual shooting. According to Eugene, a terrible crowd stood about. Quote, Two men tried to break through, and he shot them both. I saw him shoot them. I saw them lying there after they were shot. One seemed to be dead. The other was trying to pull himself up the side of the deck, but he could not. I tried to get to the boat also, but I was afraid I would be shot and stayed back. Afterwards, there was another shot, and I saw the officer himself lying on the deck. They told me he shot himself, but I did not see him. Eugene dived into the water and grabbed onto a collapsible lifeboat. Bertha and Maggie jumped into a lifeboat as it was lowered. Bertha described the leap as a distance of three building stories. Wow. She broke her ribs when she landed, oh. and other passengers jumped on top of her. In the overcrowded lifeboat, Bertha was thirsty, nauseous, frightened, wet, with cold and pain. She watched the lights of the Titanic as the water crept higher and higher and then went out. As the ship began to go dark, she heard two explosions. Bertha recalled the sinking of the Titanic at 2.30 a.m. Quote, the vessel, the vessel quivered and seemed to settle, she said. Then she leaned over on the other side a little and slowly sank to her grave. I think I heard the band playing. The Titanic took with her 1,522 lives. From the boat, she saw Margaret Rice. Margaret, a woman from her hometown in Ireland, stood on the deck of the Titanic, doomed to go down with the ship, along with her four boys clinging to her skirts. Mm. All through the night, Bertha watched as a large ice cake drifted back and forth, irritating her every time it bumped into the lifeboat. According to the Encyclopedia Titanica, she noticed the ice cake that kept ramming the side of the boat. As the night passed, it annoyed her more and more. The ice cake seemed to follow them, and it always hit the lifeboat just below Bertha. Through the cold hour, she came to view the ice cake as some sort of evil, living entity taunting her. Hmm. Just before dawn, a smaller ice cake floated up, and it came between the bigger, quote, evil ice cake and the lifeboat, just as the bigger one was about to make another assault. When the smaller ice cake blocked the bigger one, Miss Mulville began to laugh out loud uncontrollably because her enemy had been thwarted. <laughs> she later realized she had spent much of that horrible night playing a mind game with ice cakes. That way, she couldn't, could ignore the tragedy, the hunger, the cold, and a couple of broken ribs. Mm. Dawn had just started to break when she saw the lights of the RMS Carpathia way off in the distance. Quote, I spoke to the nearest sailor about it and asked if it possibly could be a vessel coming to us she later told an interviewer he said it must be a ship's light 
and someone spoke up and said it was a boat's light. Then two big green lights broke through the mist above it, and we knew it was a ship coming to rescue. We cheered and cheered. Some cried. I just sat still and offered up a little prayer and said to the Blessed Mother that if I survived, I would name my firstborn child Mary, which I did. Three days later, the Carpathia landed in New York with 705 Titanic survivors. Henry saw his fiancée's name on the passenger list in the newspaper. He and Ted Norton, Bertha's brother-in-law, boarded a train to New York and made their way through the crowds at the dock. Officials told Bertha and the other Titanic survivors they would have to go to the hospital. Despite her broken ribs, Bertha sneaked away and hid among the luggage. She then slipped off the vessel and got lost in the crowd. Finally, she spotted Henry and crept up behind him, covered his eyes with her hands and said, Guess who? A man on the dock gave her a felt hat, now displayed in a museum in Ireland. Another man gave up his berth in the crowded train so, on, to Providence so Bertha could sleep. At home, she found herself a celebrity, giving interviews to newspaper reporters about her ordeal on the Titanic. She and Henry married in August, four months after her return. A crowd gathered outside her house, and she climbed out a back window to escape them, tearing her veil on a rose bush. From all accounts, Bertha lived a good life. She and Henry had five children, four of whom survived to adulthood. They lived on Chalkstone Avenue in Providence, then moved out to a home on Wyndham Avenue in 1928, and Bertha created beautiful gardens around her home. Henry worked setting the print on large bronze plaques on state statues and monuments. You can see Henry's work on the plate on the World War I monument in Providence. Eugene Daly survived and moved to New York City. He sent a postcard to Bertha, inspiring speculation among Titanic junkies that he had a crush on her. <laughs> Remember me to be ever your friend, he wrote. Henry died in 1945. Bertha died October 15, 1959, and is actually buried at St. Francis Cemetery in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Hmm. What a stunning account of that night. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jumping three stories down yeah. into the ocean. Mm -hmm. and imagine. Oh. How horrifying. Yeah. Imagine, imagine what must have gone on in those decks. And someone she thought was the yeah. captain was shooting people. I know. Or at least it was an officer on the boat. Mm. Someone in charge. Right. And then she is looking at the other woman from Ireland with her four kids. Yeah. On the, Sink on the uh, boat. On the boat going down. Mm-hmm. And being absolutely helpless Ooh. to do anything about it. Yeah. Not a good death either. No. No, no. Uh, down into the ocean. Freezing water and suffocating. And, oof, not good. Yeah. But yeah, it takes a star chart out of you here in that account. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you all have this uh, hovering uh, idea of what happened. But sure. Yeah. To hear firsthand and to be sitting on that lifeboat and watch the thing go down with all those people. Mm. That must have been pretty rough. I just see, you know, her, her describing the lights going out and watching, and then finally all the lights go out. You can hear the band playing. Yeah. They played as, yeah. Uh, as as a I mean. Oh. But you're in the Arctic. Basically, you're on these lifeboats. You're probably in a nightgown. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, just the fact that she survived at all is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. that anyone did. The fact that anyone survived, all right? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. well, of course, but and to be one her, her story it. in particular, and <laughs> excuse me, I think it was part of that that mindset of she stopped focusing on the ship. She stopped focusing on herself. And was just focusing on these floating pieces of ice just had to, zone to keep out. her sane. Mm -hmm. Like, that sounds like something that I would do is is just try to disassociate from what's going on in that moment just to kind of get through it. Right. Yeah. Might have had to. Focus on the, the ice cakes banging in the boat, which probably was pretty painful because, I mean, her broken oh, I'm ribs. Sure. I'm sure. It felt horrible. Yeah, and we all have the women and children mentality and all that stuff, but the type of things that must have gone on Oh. On deck. Yeah. Things people were probably weren't too proud of if they survived. Yeah. Mm. I mean, wonder how many young men survived. Right. Well, I think, I mean, there's, you know, 1,700 stories right there, 1,700 survivors. Yeah. I didn't realize there were that many survivors. That's kind of interesting. So a lot of people. I don't know, because yeah. 1,500 went down. Right. So. Hmm. so more survived than perished. Yeah, it seems that way. Just, Just a couple hundred yeah. more, yeah. Mm hmm pretty but still it's not the again that's not the hovering, <coughs> hovering view we have of the whole incident you know yeah right yeah, uh. yeah it's quite the incredible story but yeah some of the some of the horrible stuff that must have went on just for people trying to get onto the lifeboats that that didn't make it i mean like the shootings yeah and it's, yeah 
Yeah, I'll just think of the people chaos that, never, on that, deck. that never even made it up there. You know, they, yeah. were, they were locked in and couldn't yeah. find a way. The only reason why she found a way out is because one of the ship's crew helped her yeah, they found get a up nice, there. Nice, nice person on the crew helped them. I mean, she could, she could have been trapped in the lower levels. I mean, the story said they were sleeping next to the boilers, right? Mm-hmm. And they made it to the the deck to mm-hmm. get away. It's pretty mm-hmm. amazing in itself. You know, so that I mean, that guy who knows if he survived saved her life. Right, he might not have if he was crew. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the macabre theme, I'm suddenly thinking, what was the last death? I mean, oh. were there people trapped in air pockets? Is I would, that ship's going I down? would have to yeah. think so. I would have to. I mean, and it's just the just the suffering. I mean, would you would you at that point just go under the water? Just the mental yeah. suffering. And just just uh, say, you uh, know what, I'm not even gonna. Probably wouldn't have suffer. taken that long with the pressure of the water as pressure. it got deeper and deeper. Mm. Cold. Yeah. The cold, the pressure, even in the air pocket. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Hopefully just unconscious at some point. Yeah, probably you know, would go out unconscious. Mm-hmm. <sighs> just brutal stuff. It is. Which, I'm not going which, on any cruises. Which no. might, might be better than consciously drowning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, I wouldn't, you, I wouldn't want yeah. to. I wouldn't want to. But you never even thought of that, though. I mean, the guy died from being shot before the boat even sank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? That, right. I'd take that. Yeah, didn't even mm-hmm. think of that. Shoot me, shoot me in the head. Yeah, I don't want to go through this. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I could see she'd never get on a boat again. Oh, gosh, no. Well, those are our macabre stories for right. today. Certainly fit the bill. <laughs> yeah. Over, uh, over the lunchtime hour. So um, we do have some things um, coming up with Newland Curiosities on February 28th. Mm-hmm. We are doing an investigation and tour of the South Meeting House in Portsmouth, which we did back in November, which was really spooky cool it's, fun. Oh, yeah. And we'll uh, we'll see what sort of ghosts of sailors are there this time around. You can find tickets for that on NewlyCuriosities.com. It is very, very active. Um, I think we have, I think we're probably about 75% sold out for that right yeah, now. Yeah, they're, they're going. They are. And, of course, the end of this month, you can find a workshop on intuition development. So if you've ever been interested in communicating with spirits or kind of tapping into your own psychic abilities, we invite you to do that. Mm-hmm. And yesterday we started our tarot certification. So we have a group of students right now going through our four-week tarot course, which mm-hmm. I think I'm, I might actually do again maybe in April. I'm thinking of They go so well. The, the students are always Describe great. some of the things that happen to a person who should be thinking about developing their intuition. What, what things are happening to yeah, them? Yeah, like I'm sure there are people, I'm sure you can develop it from any point. Yes. But I'm sure there are some people walking around who have some abilities mm-hmm. and it's, you know, nudging them all the time, but they're not really seeing it for what it is. So if you are having particularly lucid dreams, if mm-hmm. you keep seeing the same animal all the time, if you hear voices, if you find that there are some major synchronicities happening in your life where you're like, something told me, I don't know where it came from, but something told me not to go down that street or something mm-hmm. told me to check on a friend. When you start noticing those, you know, those gut instincts that is your intuition talking to you and understanding what do I do next when that yeah. happens and how to listen to that and how everything around us is so connected to our experience, but you can see it from another level and yeah. figure out what it is that you need to do. Because I think we, we always find people in that class, they're like, oh, I, you know, I've, I've always felt like I've had messages coming through to me in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And everybody's very yeah. different. I've known always... that my daughter was distressed or my sister was distressed yeah, and they give her a call, knowings. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah whenever you have those knowings and then that's an opportunity to find out well what was happening with you at at that time what time of day did it happen and putting all the pieces together so that's one of the things we try to explain to people is you know where do you where do you even feel your intuition in your body you know is it is it within your gut Sometimes so there's a sweet spot it. which is yeah. might be time related might be mm-hmm. place related might be absolutely yeah. Absolutely. And just paying attention, you know, are you, is it 11 o'clock every day? Or when are you more open to your intuition? I find at night I'm much more open to my intuition because I'm more of a night person. So really working that time of day to connect with spirit or energy or whatever you want to call it. So we try to break that down a little bit in Mm -hmm. that class. Or I I do. Ken's Ken's just there for moral support. I'm saying we like he's teaching the class too. (laughs) (laughs) I assist. I do. Ken's the trusty assistant. Yeah, that's one of the things that, that I teach. 
people. So you can um, you can find that intuition development on our website. So if you have strong gut feelings about things, yeah, probably absolutely. Have, you should be developing that intuition. You you should, yeah. and it's great just to even use it to listen to your own body and find out what your body needs and what it's trying to tell you. So it's not just. I mean, you can use intuition for anything. It's yeah. not just spirit communication. Although we see a lot of people that want to use oh, it for yeah, spirit people communication. People want to talk to their, their grandmother. Yeah. Or but divination yeah. as well. I mean, any any form of you know tarot card reading or oracle card reading it's it's half the tool but it's also half you and being able to distill down the messages that are coming to you while you're doing a reading and to ask the right questions yeah. from your intuition so there's a lot of different applications it's about it. quieting the mind of you know i gotta get this bill paid or mm-hmm. i gotta pick up the girl at three o'clock that mm-hmm. type of thing you getting, getting the noise floor mm-hmm. down but the, the the first word in that class is trust mm. and if you can't trust your intuition then you're really never going to be able to use it to its full potential so yep. we, we go through a lot of examples in class on what you can do little exercises to try newenglandcuriosities.com mm-hmm. and of course we'll be back next week with Wicked Curious as I mentioned make sure you hit the subscribe button find us on Patreon and we remind you to always stay Wicked Curious <laughs>